and, and unpacking that just a little bit. On Thursday, I went to see a musical with my daughter. She loves musicals, and uh, this one's called Come From Away. Um, she had seen it before and really wanted me to see it as well. So she turns 23 this upcoming week, so it was an early birthday present. Um, she invited me to go with her, which <laughs> it's kind of funny if you think about it, and, and watch, watch the musical. It happened to be a good distance away, uh, over four hours. So she was really excited to, to go see this. And I don't know how many of you are familiar with the storyline, but it, it explores some of what came out of 38 planes landing in, uh, in Newfoundland. Uh, they were diverted on 9-11 when all the airspace was closed down just after the, uh, the attacks on New York City. And of course, there are planes all, all around the place, but this focuses on some of the things that happened as this little town of Gander, which has 9,000 people, turned into 16,000 people immediately when everybody landed and they had to kind of come together and find food and housing and a five-day process before these people were able to get back on the planes and head home where they were going. So it's, it's you know, a lot of storylines came from that, of course, too. Now, my own personal experience uh, was different than my daughter's. Like, she's turning 23, so she was, uh, she had, was just a newborn when, when this happened. And I'm guessing for those of us who are old enough to remember, you can recall exactly where you were on a day like that. And for me, as it was kind of exploring this, uh, this, these stories and people didn't know, it was kind of pre-cell phone, and, and there was a lot of guessing, and then when they started seeing the images and, and the shock and everything, I kind of went back to that moment. I don't know if you have ever done that. It's been long enough now that sometimes I, I do kind of forget the emotions attached to it. So I had to process on the back end um, how, how I was feeling in that, in that moment. And part of what I was thinking about was a friend of mine who went to New York City early on when all the rubble was still there in a pastoral role and was uh, with people just sitting there but also offering the best he could hope in the midst of all, all, all that had happened, the, the shambles. And the premise, of course, of him being able to do that is that even against the most horrific thing that could possibly happen, there is still, there's still hope. If the, if the gospel isn't, isn't true, um, then that's not the case. But if it is, if it is true that Christ came into the world, that this was a part of God's plan from all time, and that the brokenness of man so profound, something like 9-11 could happen. But nonetheless, Christ came for some situations even like that. If that's true, there is always hope. And I think it's interesting just even to hear from our, our brother and our sister here too. We rejoice in this picture and the storyline of God's provision. There's a lot of hurt and, and, uh, and confusion and, and pain and chaos behind the scenes. But God is, in the, is working in that midst. We open up this text and start looking at a woman who's expecting a child who was very, very young, not quite married. Some of the shame attached with that that we've talked about as well. We, we see that she received from Gabriel this hope that she would be bearing a son, the son of God, the, the most high. And she's trying to process that information as well. And there's, there's, there's a lot of joy in that situation. Last week, we heard Nitya share. If you haven't had the chance to listen to last week's message, 
Fast forward at least to where she begins sharing her story of how God worked in, the, in an impossible situation. She was medically unable to have a child. For nine years, they've been trying everything possible, every scientific possibility there could possibly ever be. And then God opened up her womb, and she was telling us how she is with child. And we get to look forward to that time. And we were saying, God can do anything. Nothing is impossible. And I know for some of us, we're thinking, why can't I have a child? Or why aren't I married? Or why is my marriage broken? Or whatever the case may be. And what we tried to suggest was that if God is capable of doing that, and he certainly is, and even in the withholding of the desire of your heart, we're believing that he is good. That there is something he is doing that is at work that we can't possibly see. And when we think of the word joy, part of what I've come to conclude, especially in the book of Philippians, is that joy, there's this kind of steadfast joy that you can have no matter what the circumstances. That joy is the full assurance that God is at work no matter what. That's why Paul, when he was in, in jail, or at least couldn't get out there, said, I consider it, I'm, I'm, I'm full of joy. And even James says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And he wasn't trying to suggest that you just be happy, like, yay, trials, tragedies, because joy is deeper than that. There's a, there's a steadfast awareness that no matter what your situation is, you can have joy because God is at work. That, I would suggest, is part of the joy of believing. And I also think it happens to be quite unique for those who really understand the message that the Bible is giving us. You can have the joy of believing no matter what the circumstances are. In this passage, there's a lot of joy that we're about to read. But the backdrop of it was pain because Elizabeth was well along in age and was barren. And she was, she was unable to have a child. She couldn't pass on the family line. She had prayed. We know Zachariah, her husband, and she had prayed for many, many years and never saw anything happen. And in Luke 1, when the angel appears and says, God has heard your prayers. Finally, after all of these years, there's joy, of course, for Elizabeth. And that's what we find in, in chapter 1. And then we had last week the experience of Mary listening to the angel who had said, you also are with, with child. And there's probably some joy going on there, perhaps, but there's probably a lot of confusion, too, because not only is she young, she isn't even officially able to consummate her marriage yet. So she looks like she's been unfaithful. And yet, in the midst of this, the posture of your heart, which is something I've been considering this past week, even in preparing for the next message, is her, it, it's just quite remarkable how she responds to me. That she just says, you know, let, let the Lord's will be done effectively. That she has this posture of humility and servanthood. This is what you have for me, okay? I'll be a servant no matter what. Life isn't going according to plan. But... I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. What happens next? Well, we don't have to wonder because the Bible tells us what happens next. And we look briefly this morning then at Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45, and we see exactly what happened next. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. This is the word of God. Father, would you be with us and give us understanding and leave none of us unchanged from interacting with your word. May your Holy Spirit give us understanding and conviction today and remind us that we have reason for joy. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we talked about joy being kind of a steadfast joy. And then there's another kind, which is maybe emotional joy. We don't have all the different words to describe it, but you know what it's like when you get news that's good and you just you leap for joy i mean if you're somebody who's loves i don't know how many of you watch the world cup okay i I like i like soccer i lived overseas in europe for a long time i I knew america usa was going to lose to netherlands okay probably but when they scored you know ah i was so excited i literally leapt and then in that final minute of the first half how can we give that up for some of you, it may be something entirely different. You know, maybe you hear, I got a pay raise. Woohoo! Or, uh, I don't know, there's, a, there's a, all kinds of things. One thing that's fun about Christmas is receiving gifts or even giving them, too. Some people enjoy giving gifts and they get excited when somebody opens up something that they're giving to them. And, you know, I, some of us are better at receiving gifts than others. I, I'm not good at it. I just, I'm very grateful I'm, I'm leaping inside. But other, other, people, other people are like very, you know, emotive about it. And it's just, you want to give a gift to somebody like that. It's a $5 Starbucks gift card. I'm like, this is amazing! Because they're filled with joy. And that kind of joy is what's happening in this text. But it's really interesting, isn't it? The joy that's, that's happening here is, is, is not the mother, right, who, who, who's being featured here, Mary. It's somebody else she's coming to, Elizabeth. And Elizabeth well along in years, she exclaims with joy that this one who has come is bearing her very Savior. And the baby inside of her also leaps for joy. A little, little prelude, but an actual story of how when Christ is coming near in proximity, there's a response of joy. I mean, that's what happens here. And so we see just not a ton of PowerPoint, but the very first thing we'll see here this morning is that Elizabeth meets her Savior, and responds with joy. That's pretty remarkable. Elizabeth meets her Savior and responds with joy. Again, with Christmas, some of us have an easier time entering into the joy of the season in general. Now, I've told you before, I've, I'm learning over the years to, to, to lean away from the cynicism that naturally arises in my heart for this time of year and enter into the joy, because I can't change, it seems, the commercialism and all that kind of stuff as well. But I can focus on the aspects of it that are redemptive and the reasons why we're doing this. Okay, I'm speaking to myself. I can enter into the joy <laughs> of this season. And, and at the heart of the season is what? It's the joy of Christ entering the world. That's it. And, and what's fun about this text is this is the first time it's happening. In history, we're getting a little glimpse of Mary, who's been told by 
you know, Gabriel, who, who this child is, and we've, we're told, told elsewhere that she's pondering this and she's thinking about it. So she goes to Elizabeth, and there's a little confirmation here when Elizabeth pronounces blessings, but also there's just joy. That's not just joy in, in the pregnancy. It's joy in who is coming. And, and the, 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 the response that the baby inside her own womb has to this message, to the person, to the arrival. That's what happens in verse 41. Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting. The baby leaped in her womb. And in verse 44 as well, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. What an amazing picture, both of Elizabeth, who is, you know, older in life, leaping for joy at this encounter with who she calls her Lord, but the baby as well. Uh, brephos, interestingly enough, in, in the Greek. This is the same term that's used for a baby who's been born, so a little biblical perspective on life inside the womb here, at least from the author's perspective, that this baby is responding with joy inside Elizabeth's womb to the one who's come in proximity. What a picture of response to Christ as well. You know, we think a little bit accelerated when Jesus does enter the world, you know, post-labor, post and, then, and then he grows up. I, I love his approach to children um, because he doesn't see them as sometimes we adults can. He, we often get frustrated with, with kids and, and, uh, and some of the distractions and challenges they bring. And isn't it, isn't it wonderful when uh, Jesus has his disciples around him and they, they're... Um, all gathered together and there's kids kind of coming up to him and they say, no, no, this guy's important. Stay away from him. You know, you're, you're sort of an irritant right now. It's, didn't you see the little ropes? If they even had them, they're just going through to him too. And he says, no, 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 let him come in. These, this is what the kingdom of God, is. this is who it's for. Kids like this. This is what it ought to be like. The sheer and abject joy of children being drawn to somebody who is filled with love and affection for them. I mean, it's not quite like that first Santa picture that some of you have, and we've got it, of, uh, I, I think it was Noel, the firstborn I was referring to, just crying. Was it her? I don't know. We have a picture of somebody who is absolutely wailing with tears coming down in Santa, Santa Claus's lap. And that's not the picture of Jesus that we have here, <laughs> too. There's something attractive about him, joy. And even in the womb, he had that effect on people. The, the baby in the womb responding with joy. And it's not just the baby, but it's the mom, Elizabeth, as well. Who, interestingly enough, declares these praises. And she's doing it to her Savior. I, this, is, this is an astounding text for me. That she says, Why am I so favored, in verse 33, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And somehow, and we actually know how it happened, because it's here in the text as well, that Elizabeth was able to discern that the one in front of her, who was inside the womb, just developing, was actually her Lord. How did that happen? How did she know that? Well, we're told here in this text, in verse 41, the baby leaped in a room and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. This, was, this, this couldn't happen, her response wouldn't, wouldn't have gone this way unless God's Holy Spirit had been at work 
giving her knowledge, giving her insight. See, the response that she had to her Savior, who wasn't even out of the womb yet, came because God's Spirit was at work in her. He filled her. He gave her this insight and this knowledge. And so she replies, fittingly, my Lord is in there. That's my Lord. This is only spiritually discerned. We talk about kids entering the kingdom of God in the same posture of our heart. One of the reasons I do love Christmas is because there's that innocence and excitement about everything that's happening. And I think we can leverage that as well and say, that's what it looks like, not only to enter the kingdom of God, but to remember what it meant initially for ourselves. Because maybe we've grown distanced from that too. And that reality is something that can only happen by God's spirit being at work. We won't make that conclusion otherwise. Um, I make reference sometimes to the Bible study that we're doing. And uh, C.E. and I were uh, looking uh, together uh, at God's, God's word with a, with a few students. And, and somebody asked the question, what do, do we say, are you in the kingdom of God? Like sometimes I think, and how do I get into the kingdom of God was kind of what we were talking about. What does that even look like? And they're very curious about it as well. And as we're going through the Gospel of John 2, uh, this was a separate thing, but we were able to go back to John chapter 3, where Nicodemus asked the same question, how do I enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, that only happens by God's Spirit. You, you, you have to be born again. Some of you in the United States are familiar with that phrase as well, that you have to be, you, this only happens by a work of God's Spirit. And when that happens, if you are among those who respond in this sort of way and God's spirit is at work in you, there is joy. There is joy. You know, there's a, an amazing story of one of these uh, missionaries who, who went to a tribe that had never heard the gospel and they were riddled with fear. Uh, it's, it's like a 21-minute video if you want to look it up. It's called Etao. E-E-T-A-O, which means it is true in the Mok tribe. Uh, a, a man and his, his wife who went there and labored to learn the language and over many, many months got to share the whole entire story of the Bible. And these were people living in abject fear of spirits. And they had a, a mask they would wear and, and dance around to ward off spirits. And if anybody saw the mask, they had to be killed. And one of the people's telling the story of his mother who was killed by his father. Uh, because he, she had seen the mask and knew it was only a man behind the mask as well. So when this man comes and tells the entire story, beginning in Genesis, leading all the way up to the day when Christ was crucified, a day when nobody, there are, I think, 300-something people in this village, they never left, even though it went on for four hours a day, he taught for months. And then, you see, we're pretty used to this story, but he was offering them over a long period of time the hope of something different than the beliefs that they'd had before, which let that left them in fear. And when he finally finishes, not just the death of Christ, but also raising from the dead and says, this joy can be yours, basically. And I, I thought about showing the scene up here, but you can look on it later yourself, too. They begin to grasp the reality of the gospel and the joy of being set free from their sins. And they're usually a very reserved tribe. But they began getting up one at a time and saying, I, I believe that, I believe that, I believe that. And spontaneous dancing and joy erupts for hours on end. There's video footage of this too. And they're crowd surfing and all kinds of stuff too. I mean, they're just dancing around and they're, 
They're just because they know they've been forgiven and they experience for the first time the joy of believing that Christ is the Savior of the world. And they no longer have to live in the fear of their own beliefs anymore. That's a, a remarkable story. And that all happens because this happened back here. Elizabeth meets her Savior as well in a different kind of way, but nonetheless meets and responds with joy. And if you want the gift of joy this season, why not ask if you feel like, I don't know that. This is, this is, this is easy. Put it on your Christmas wish list. God, give me the joy. Maybe for no, of knowing you for the first time. Or perhaps remembering the joy that you had when you first met him. Because that's what, what Elizabeth is experiencing. The joy of meeting her Savior for the first time ever. That's one of the opportunities we have as we celebrate Advent to remember that too, again and again. But there's more in this text because Elizabeth meets her Savior and responds with joy. But also Mary bears her Savior and she receives a blessing. All these blessings are pronounced in, in kind of a, pass, in a passive way in the Greek. She hasn't really done anything. She's just getting God's favor placed on her. Nothing necessarily that she's done, just in his good pleasure. Her response, as we saw last week, is one that's available to us, as we'll see in a moment. But this pronouncement of blessing, blessed are you among women, blessed is the child that you will bear, in verse 42. Mary is unique. <laughs> she has the sole privilege of being the mother of Christ, the anointed one who's been anticipated. She's, she's the only one. God, the son, dwelled inside of her body and was knit together in her womb and in human form, and then he was born into her home. And she got to see him develop. She fed him. Probably not ramen noodles, but something that was popular for the day and, and bread and saw him interact with others. I mean, what a unique privilege. Of course, she is distinctive in that respect. And we don't want to minimize this reality. That is an honored status. And uh, blessings are pronounced here appropriately so. But these words and the honor that come with it have moved some to worship her, as you're probably familiar. And even back in this time, one woman publicly exalted Mary. Uh, later, when Jesus had grown up, in Luke eleven twenty seven, somebody says, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. Speaking about Mary, of course. And then Jesus, if you're familiar with that text, corrected her by replying, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So he's saying, look, yeah, of course she's blessed, this is honored status, but the greater blessing is those who hear God's word and keep God's word. That's the greater blessing. Mary's greatest blessing was not being the mother of Christ. Her greatest blessing was that her child would save her from her own sins as well. That's what happens in Matthew 1. I mean, give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins, including Mary. And that blessing is given to everyone who believes in him. And that ultimately is the true and the lasting joy. Mary bears her Savior and receives a blessing. I mean, there are lots of things in the Bible that talk about blessings. And even when Jesus said, blessed is he who hears the word and does it, it makes you think of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does what? Meditates on God's word. Who, who just revels and delights in doing what God has said. That's where blessing really 
is. And Jesus himself would talk about the blessings that come from walking in his ways as well. And that is the true and the lasting joy. One of the things I'm challenged by a lot too is not what I get from serving God, but just God himself is the joy. Makes me think of Genesis 15, 3, where Abraham is told, I am your great reward. Abraham was wealthy. He had lots of stuff. And so people would say he was blessed. Of course he was. But the greater reward was not the material blessings he received, but that he knew God. He was called from a place and relocated. A God he did not know called him and said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And from you, many others will be in the city. And that is the great blessing, the great joy. So as much as we long and desire and pray for all these things to come about and can do so with absolute boldness, I mean, if there's any evidence that that's the case and that God's still doing that, then it's happened in the past two weeks. Today we already heard it. And last week as well, God can do these things. And oftentimes he does. Sometimes he doesn't. But he's capable. But underneath all that, even if he doesn't provide in that way, the great joy is knowing him. So David can say, my, the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places because he is my joy and my delight. And when we find, I think, for myself again, sometimes straying from that reality, perhaps we're looking for what God can do instead of just his presence. That is the great promise. You know, that promise was given to Mary too in the first text we read. I mean, Gabriel pronounces the Lord is with you. And that, that promise, that blessing, uh, is upon her something that will probably she'll have to remind herself about. But is that for her alone? We know it's not. We've even heard it today, Emmanuel, God with us. If you, by faith in Christ, have latched onto the joy that comes in the gospel, the good news that he is for you, and that you cannot save yourself, you cannot get there, that is the true and the lasting joy. And so this season we remind ourselves of that again and again. And we have an opportunity in this text to consider as well how Mary instructs us in this regard. In verse 45, blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Mary believes her Savior. And she shows that we can too. What a compelling text here too. Mary believes. And that in and itself is a true joy. Even when we don't see things for which we are believing come to pass, could she still have known uh, joy? I, I think so. You know, Hebrews 11 is such a great chapter that gives us a picture of people who died waiting for this moment, and it never came about. You know, you're talking about the next generation of people who are in this ministry, too, who are waiting for things. Maybe, maybe that won't come about until the generation after them, but there's still the steadfast joy of knowing God is at work. And moments, too, when our hearts leap for joy quite naturally, because we get a glimpse of what he is doing. My heart leaps for joy when I hear that story that was shared early. My heart leaps for joy when I hear Nitya get up and say, against every single scientific possibility, I am pregnant. And the only explanation for it is, people prayed for me. That's it. And so my heart leaps for joy. And the backdrop is a lot of pain, a lot of what seem like unanswered prayers, a lot of money. A lot of heartache, a lot of bitterness. And both 
are living side by side. And one of the beautiful aspects, I think, of the Bible that lends itself a sense of authenticity, and it's true, is they're both there, sorrow and joy. If you've experienced a funeral recently, you know what that's like. Or during this time of year when, when you remember how things are broken, God's joy can still be there, the steadfast part of it, but also times when you can leap. For Joy Mary believes her Savior, and it's, it's pretty remarkable, this sense here that she has believed what the Lord has said to her, that same word, kurios, the Lord that Elizabeth uses, the same word that Mary uses as well, and somehow God in his, uh, in his sovereignty and the way that he's at work is showing her that she herself needs the very one that she is bearing inside of her womb. Mary believes. And of course, this does come to pass pretty quickly. I mean, there's a time frame on when she's going to have this child. But her simple childlike faith that what God has said will be accomplished. That's what faith looks like. And she's willing to do that. She's believing something, of course, quite unique and specific. You're going to bear a son who's simply more than a man. <laughs> He's the son of God. But what is blessed is believing. And that is something that's available to all of us. I think it's easy to forget sometimes what it is that God has, has promised. And if you, and you can get one of these books pretty, you know, it's probably good to get something like the Bible Promise Book. This is a gift that we give to people who are graduating because they forget about it. And, and it, it's arranged by different ways. But look, there's a whole category on joy. You will show me the way of life. Being with you is to be full of joy. Yet I will have joy in the Lord. I'll be glad in him who saves me. I've told you these things so my joy might be in you and your joy may be full. Do not be sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Our heart is full of joy because we trust in his holy name. Uh, I could read a bunch of these things as well. Promises that we're reminded of. And I have a, a, some copies of this. The only ones I have left out there. So first come, first served. If you're interested, take it. Because you might need to remember. And one of the things that we tend to do is forget. And when I was watching, again, that come from away again, too, it's good to remember. It's good to remember that there are no guarantees about how long this life will last or how things are going to go. But there are guarantees here in this scripture as well. Blessed are you if you believe that what God has said he, he will do will be accomplished. And that could be the very salvation of your own soul. He will do it. And if, he, if you've known that joy initially and you're struggling right now, remember a promise like Philippians 1.6. It's a simple one, right? He who began a good work in you, he's going to carry it to completion. He will. You can bank on it. You can't, can't bank on interest rates between now and next week at the closing of a building or something, which, hallelujah, irrelevant in your case. But you can bank on things like this. He who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. Now we forget that. And God understands that we need constant reminders. That's one of the reasons we gather together and listen to his word. But it's also one of the reasons that we celebrate the Lord's Supper. This is what I call a sustaining grace. We need God's grace 
We need to remember that he sustains us with it. Even when we wander, when we feel like we can't see, when we've forgotten the promises or we're waiting for them to be fulfilled and it feels like it'll never happen. This is proof positive that he's at work. He hasn't forgotten about you, that he's with you and that he's for you. And that he's so for you that he shed his own blood on your behalf. So you could know the joy of being in a relationship with him. And if that describes you, then good news. This is for you. This table's for you. Not because you're perfect, but because you recognize Christ is. And you are trusting in him on your behalf. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, then we do that as a remembrance of what Christ has done. 